Hi, I'm just Joe Foster, the founder of Reba. I've just had a wonderful over one hour chat with Ennis and uh, we got through everything so good. We enjoyed it thoroughly and I hope you also enjoy it. Please do. And if you've got time to buy my book, I think you'll enjoy that as well. So thank you, Ennis. Thank you very much. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to this episode of I'm Made For More podcast. It's your host, Ennis, here. And today we have the iconic Joe Foster on the show. He's a serial entrepreneur, author of the book Shoemaker, which, by the way, is one of my favorite books I've read recently. I'd highly recommend checking it out. Oh, and did I forget to mention that Joe is the founder of Reebok? Yes, in this interview, Joe shares his journey of starting the $4 billion brand and some of the challenges he faced along the way, as well as the one thing he feels made Reebok a success. Joe's just an all-around great guy and dropped so many gems during our conversation, so I know you'll definitely enjoy it. Now, before we get into the show, I want to let you know that the video version of this interview is available on Spotify, so if you'd like to watch it, be sure to give us a follow on there. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. I'd love to see your feedback there. Now, without further ado, enjoy the show. How's it going? It's going all right. How's it going with you, Ennis? Good, good, good. I see Julie's uh, there in the background, too, helping you out with the technology. Yeah? She, she is the tech expert here, yes. She, <laughs> she, knows, she knows which buttons say it. Um, right on. The wrong ones, but there you go, yeah. <clears throat> oh, How's it going? Are you back in the UK? We're back in the UK, yes, for, for a while. In fact, we're only a few days now, and then we hopefully will leave for Baghdad. Sorry. Really? Baghdad, not Baghdad, no. Bangkok. Bangkok. Okay, is that, is that your first? <laughs> how, how often do you travel? Um, very. Yeah. Very often. We, uh, but it's just two weeks ago since we came back from Dubai. Yeah. How do how'd you, you like that? Was that your first time there? That was our first time there and uh, very interesting. We were very busy. We only went for uh, an event called JITEC, which was uh, um, sort of new setups, uh, new startups. Um, they were sponsored by Microsoft. So we, mm. we went there for a couple of days uh, to sit down, do some keynote speaking. Um, and we decided we'd stay for another four weeks uh, just to sort of have a look at Dubai. But it was work, work, work all the time. We got so busy, so many people, so much going on. Everybody's networking out there. It's incredible. Uh, it did you? Did you get to see that uh, mall? I've only seen it on videos, but like the mall with like the aquarium and the, uh, yes. the ski. Yeah, you, you guys did that? There's, uh, yes, Dumai Mall is it's big. It's absolutely massive. But yes, there's the, the aquariums there. There's, there's also uh, there's a hotel there. What's the hotel called, Julie? Which one? The one with Khalifa? Well, Atlantis. Atlantis oh, Hotel. Atlantis. Okay. Another one has a big aquarium. Have you been to Dubai? No, but uh, I got some a few friends that, that live that live there. Um, right. My parents are from, from North Africa and Libya. So all of that, oh. that whole area. Yeah. 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 yeah it's yeah, kind yeah. of the same. <laughs> okay. Oh, you must go. I mean, it really is uh, good. Where are you now? I'm in Seattle. So we're Microsoft home, hometown. Of say, have you ever been a bit wet and a bit cool and a bit, uh, uh, well, a bit cool up there, isn't it? Seattle. 
Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like London because I've been there. Um, right. And it's always raining. It's super gloomy all the time. Uh, super <laughs> rainy. It, it's not as compact. Like everything is super close to each other in, in London. I don't know. It's super right. You know, packed yes. city. But um, yeah, it's it, I you know grew up here. I, I need a I need to move somewhere a little bit more sunny for me. I don't know. I, I just can't can't deal with the gloom. Yeah, but I'm, I we agree with you. We we come back to the UK, and then this is gloomy here because we're we're on the west side of England. So okay. we're Manchester. Manchester is uh, well noted for being very wet. <laughs> so we're wet, gloomy, and uh, yeah, we we try to get away. We try to get away to either Tenerife or. Uh, um, you know, Dubai is nice, but it is quite warm in Dubai. It's still 30 degrees plus. So that, that, that's warm. And being yeah. in Central, you'll know that's warm. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Uh, so, what's it called? Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. So, you know, in, in, uh, in summer, you just stay clear of Dubai. But we do, we do like the south of France for summer, and we do like to be in America for summer. And I think we, we're coming over to the States in uh, probably in April. Yeah, where, where are you going? Well, at the moment, uh, we've got a couple of people organizing tours for us because with the, with the book, I'm now doing some speaking. So uh, mm. that would be interesting because we're, we're just ready to relaunch the book in, in America and we're self-publishing. It, it's been over there when, we first, uh, uh, when it was first published uh, 12 months ago, but they, they're not doing a good job with it. So we're taking it back and we're, we're now doing self-publishing. So yeah. everything's interesting. I love it. I love it. Well, you got to come visit here, Seattle. I'll take you out. Oh, right. Well, yeah, I've never been to the sort of the the, the north uh, northwest. Uh, you know, I, I believe even Vancouver is very nice, which is just over the border. And that's yeah, yeah, I believe that's very nice. So yeah, it, it's sort of on the wish list that maybe we can get over to that top left hand corner. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great to visit. Absolutely great. How many countries have you visited? Before we get into this, I'm just curious. Oh, I, I, I lose count. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, we've got to go back. Uh, we've got to go back 30, 40, 50 years when I started traveling. Even more than that, probably, because I, I went to America. Yeah, I was just in my 30s when I first went to the USA. But I've traveled the whole of Europe. And uh, a, a lot of the Pacific Rim, you know, Hong Kong, down all that way, China. It, so... I'd have to start making lists. I'd have to. <laughs> I'd have to work that one out. But you know, we just love traveling. It's uh, it is so it's so brilliant. Uh, and unfortunately, COVID, COVID, of course, yeah, just, you know, it put a stop to everything because we we like driving through France, through Europe. I have so many friends in Europe. You know, people in Germany, France, Italy, Spain. You know, they're all over Europe. So it's nice to drive through Europe because Europe is. Small, huge though, it's, it's kind of big though no it's kind of big but you know, you know yeah. compared to the states you know and we're sort of a a little corner <laughs> yeah compared to america it's just a small corner but there we go do you, do you have a favorite place to visit um well there are many but i guess the one that we like best is uh, is northern italy a place okay. called veresi veresi it it overlooks the lakes mm. and it, it's so nice in uh, in northern Italy. Oh, you'd love it. It's uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful place, and uh, we have some good friends there. And, I'd have to check it out. Always, yeah, it's always nice to do that. In fact, it was very funny. We were in Dubai, 
and we met an Italian and we're talking. He was part of a different operation and we're saying, well, where do you come from? And he said, Milan. Oh, well, we, we love Milan, but we, we, gen we tend to stay at a place a little bit further north called Varese. And he said, no, not Varese. I come from Varese. <laughs> oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. He said, nobody knows Varese. We knew it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, what, when, when you're not on uh, traveling or on the road, you know, what does a typical day look like for you? This. Yeah. What we're doing now, this <laughs> Zoom calls. We're Zoom on Zoom calls. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> we had one this morning with a, with a school, which was very interesting. You know, they, they got the school to do a lot of, uh, uh, how can I say, designing Reebok shoes. Mm. <laughs> and so they, they sort of give them to me to judge. And it's always difficult to judge anything like that because they're massively different than, than what I would do. But yeah, a lot of people just do colors. But mm -hmm. I, I like the ones that sort of put little uh, notes. This is such a thing. This is leather. And this is, this is, it's, it's nice when you get some view, there's thought a bit about, uh, uh, about the design rather than just putting colors in. So yeah. that was this morning. And now, was it a college or, or grade school or? Oh, it was, um, what was it called? Special needs. Special needs. Oh, school. gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. Special needs. And, uh, you know, we like doing those because they, they, they love to chat and ask you silly questions, which, yeah. is, <laughs> which is good. Although we, we do do, we've, we've done two or three uh, universities, usually the ones with, um, uh, with the courses, therefore, the MBA courses. Because mm. the MBA people, they want to know how you started. You know? Right. What, what were the problems? So right. we do quite a few uh, educational ones. And we actually did that also in Dubai. The LSE... Um, they, LSE, they, LBS. LBS, I get these things wrong. The London Business School in, uh, in Dubai, they, they do have a place there. So we... Uh, we did another one of the uh, sort of keynote speaking there to some of the MBA people. Love it, love it. Well, uh, Joe, let's let's get right into it. Um, you know, one of my favorite questions that I that I like to ask guests is if you could teach, you know, everyone in the world one topic or concept relating to either life or business, what concept would it be? <clears throat> I think it would be get to know people. You know, people are the, the one thing that you must do if you expect to go anywhere in life is to uh, make so many friends, is, is to meet people, talk to people, get people's ideas, get them on your team, build in that team. It is, it, and it is, it's all about people. You know, you can only do so much on your own. That's all, you, just a little bit. But if you can get people believing in what you're doing, and they want to join you, you know, all start believing in that same, same direction. And that's, that's what makes things grow. Things grow. Yep. You don't possess it, the whole team possesses it. So it, it's, it's team building, people building, and uh, making sure that they have, uh, well, they, are, they have ownership. That's always very useful. Yeah, how, how do you get, that's probably like the hardest thing though, is, is to get people to, believe in the in the mission and make them feel like it you know they own part of the business you know how, how do you get rally people together like that's super hard Easy, easier said than done right well you know it's, it's a bit of humility it's a bit of you know i need help mm. 
I need help. Come on, you know. And and if you if you create that uh, winning culture, you know, we're going to win this race. You know, we have a fantastic operation here. Let's where do we go next? And it's like to say if you're you know if you're the most intelligent in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah, mm. you've got to get people in who can come in and bring something. And you know, rather than because you know, we didn't do much advertising for people. We didn't advertise, okay, maybe for the other, you know, an accountant or maybe a lawyer, because they're they're not really they're, they're helping you drive, but there's not that sort of energy that comes behind the ideas, the marketing, you know, the selling, the uh so maybe that, but otherwise you, you create that uh that, that atmosphere, that, that uh, culture that draws people in. People want to be part of that culture. So, you know, and the lucky point is, is that we're, we're making a very sort of sexy product. You know, we're, we're, we're making a shoe and things that uh, the top athletes would wear. So, you know, it is something. I, I, I guess that there's a lot of mundane products in this world, but... Yeah, if you can be excited about it, I'm sure other people will be too. Probably the technology. Now it is technology. I mean, today mm-hmm. technology is king. You know, you can't go anywhere now without technology. It's, um, it's just leading everything, and it's fabulous. But uh, yeah, and that, that way you do attract people. It's not. It wasn't as difficult. Uh, in fact, it was probably more difficult not being able to employ people. You think mm, they they would be nice, but I've I've no real space. You know, so making space for people, and that's good because when 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 you're all following that same uh, that same drive and the same ambitions, you know it it does make a difference. It makes your life a lot easier uh, than sort of uh, you know telling people what to do. I've never thought that was a good idea. Telling people what to do, people should know what to do, or they should be able to tell you what they're doing. And mm-hmm. it's the, yeah, and that that way you do build. The right sort of uh, the right culture. So, me employing people was never that difficult. Don't get me wrong; you get some wrong people. Some people don't fit, and and at that point, you have to be quite—I don't say ruthless, but you have to be quite honest with them. And egos, egos can also be something. You know, you can get people that are so excited, but they get a, a bit too much ego. So it it all it all becomes them. No. You know, you got to put egos out there. You got to have ambition, yes. You got to have drive, but uh, ambition after egos tend to make them individuals. And you know, when you're building a team, a team of individuals is not a team. <laughs> yeah, so it's right. People who want to be uh, part. So that's very important. For sure. No, I know, um, man. You you touched on a lot of points that I I want to zoom into, but um, just for those people that don't know, you know, you you're the founder of Reebok the, you know, everyone knows what Reebok is. Um, And you spent 30 years there. And during that time, you know, you've hired, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people around the world. You know, what are some commonalities in terms of what motivates people? Well, the company would, or would, uh, would sort of bring in a hundred and thousands of people, but you can't do that. That, That's, uh, you know, that's an HR job, you know, to, to start bringing that many people in. What you do is you, you need the leaders, the ones who will be able to, again, create the same enthusiasm. And I would, once I'd got America going, that was great. To get Paul Feynman in America, then Paul Feynman had to build his team. So right. his team were driving the right drive in America. And then 
I could concentrate once I really, really got going in America, I could concentrate on global. So I started, I put another 30 different uh, countries on distribution around the world. And uh, that again was a matter of uh, finding the right people, people mm. who fit, who would fit in with the brand, not people who just wanted to make something big, but people who would fit into the brand. And it, and it wasn't about being number one. We did become number one. Right. But it wasn't about being number one. It's about succeeding. It's about winning. It's about family. Because that's that's a really important part of it. You build a family. And they all become part of, and they all love the brand. So, you know, when, once you've got that, once you've got that feeling, nobody is remote. Everybody's part of it. And so building those hundreds, thousands of uh, people eventually become part of Reebok. It, it is a question of you build your team who also builds their team. And so it goes on. But everybody's got to feel part of it. Um, so, yeah. And, and, you know, it's not the most important thing. Building the brand is the important thing. The team, the team is such a part of that culture. But they've all got to be there building the brand. Just as very few people know who Joe Foster is. A lot of people know Reebok. And my mission was not to build uh, Joe Foster. That is, again, ego. Mine was to build Reebok. And so wherever we were in the world, Reebok, it was building the brand. Yeah, totally. And I, and I hear you mention a few times now um, that you love to win. Just curious, do you love to win more than you hate to lose? Or, is it, or do you hate to lose more than you hate to, or love to win? I hate to lose. I am believe <laughs> I'm the same way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And because, because winning has to become a way of life, you know, whichever way you do it. And, you know, and it's not being unkind to people. It's right. you win something where, where there's a, a goal, there is a goal and you've got to head for that goal. It's not, it's not, I'm going to beat somebody. No, I, I, I'm looking for the goal. You know, a lot of people say, you know, what were you thinking about Nike and Adidas when you were there? Did, and I say, we, we didn't think about Nike and Adidas. They were there. We knew them. And we, we, we paid attention, but we were looking for the white space. We were looking for somewhere else. We, were, we wanted to grow something as against take something away. You know, we wanted it to be uh, what we did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so really the competition, yeah, it is competition, but really... You know, you're not looking to sort of do do something to the competition to to annoy them or they they do get annoyed. I mean, we probably get annoyed also. We didn't think of something first, or you know, right. we weren't close to that. But, uh, but really, to build the company, you've got to look for the white spaces, the place to go, somewhere that uh, you know you begin to break new territory, you do new things, new experiences. And that's the excitement. Yeah. When, when, when you and your brother, Jeff, uh, first started the brand back in, it was in 58, I think. 58, yeah, you're right. 58 is a long time ago now, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so back in 58, what were you guys like, what, what did you envision for yourself? Were you thinking about, Hey, I want, I want to build a, a number one, you know, shoe brand or, or just apparel brand or in Reebok or, or were you just thinking, Hey, I'm just going to make a uh, a brand that's, you know, outlasts my, you know, my families, which is because, because your dad and your grandpa also had, were shoemakers, correct? Oh, correct. Yes. And uh, I, I, I assume you've read the book. Oh yeah, of course. I, I did a lot of research on it. I found your story to be super fascinating, by the way. Yeah. 
Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, well, you'll realize that um, Jeff and myself, of course, we grew up with a family business. Um, we moved away to do national service. So when we came back, and we, we came back to what was a failing company. You know, um, mm -hmm. my, our father and uh, uncle, they just didn't get on. A bit like Adi Dassler and Rudy Dassler. But, you know, Rudy left the Dassler family and Rudy set up Puma. And oh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that. Wow, you didn't okay. know that. No, Rudy I didn't know Rudy, that. Rudy and, and Addy, Addy is Adolf, Rudy yeah. and Addy Dassler, they were part of the Dassler family business, but they didn't get on. They just feuded. And they feuded that bad that um, Rudy Dassler left and, and he set up uh, Pumba. And, and they were in the same town, first Gonora in wow. Egypt. Yeah, the other side of the river <laughs> in the I town. I didn't know that. Wow, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, and they became such enemies. They just fought each other, fought each other. But, you know, they, they fought each other and everybody else were receiving the punches because they were just, I've got to beat, got to beat, got to beat. And they grew, they grew tremendously. Well, if you can think of Foster's, my uh, father and my uncle, they were very same, just the same. They fought each other. They didn't get on with each other at all. But instead of one of them leaving, they just kept fighting and feuding. And when Jeff and I came back, and we came back to see this, the company, which my grandfather had started in 1895, and when he, when he discovered or invented running spikes in the shoe, that, you know, that grew a tremendous business. Oh, in fact, an incredible business. And he, he was quite a genius. He knew how to influence people, and he grew his... Yeah. But we came back, and obviously, whatever had driven grandfather were not driving my father and uncle. They were, they were just living off what what my grandfather had built, but it was going down. It was really losing out. And because it was losing out, and I remember saying to my father, come on, you know, you've got to change. Because yeah. uh, you, Jeff, who had been in Germany during his national service, he'd seen Adidas, he'd seen Puma, he'd seen the changes. And when we came back, we tried to get them to change, but they wouldn't change. You know, and my father said to me, look, when I've gone and your uncle's gone, this company's yours, you can do what you like with it. And, you know, I said, well, all right, Dad, that's fine, but we don't want you to go. You know, right. we, don't, we don't want you to go. That's not in our, uh, in our thinking. But this company will be gone long before you are. And indeed, uh, we left the company in 1958 to set up Reebok. And the J.D. Foster company really went out of business uh, in 1960. So we've got 18 months, two years after we left that uh, it closed down. So... What do, I mean, the question was, uh, what, what did we envisage? Well, what we envisaged was, you know, we've, we've got to make a living. We've, you know, we, we make running shoes. We're in a business. We're, we're a sports shoe business. We've got to do something because this is failing. So we set up with that one step at a time. Let's make something. Let's create something. Let's start a company. Let's get to the people, get to the, uh, um, our customers. Right. And so it was getting to the customers and then growing and listening to your customers and growing. But did we think we'd be number one? Well, you know, you maybe you go to bed sometimes and you dream about that. You know, we're we're gonna we're gonna be bigger than in those days, bigger than uh, um, Adidas. Tiger was Tiger but, around around that, that yeah, time. Tiger were around, uh, but not not too much in Europe. It took okay. some. We we were actually uh, in business. We we, we our, our Reebok business. We started off as Mercury, as you know. We our, our business was, was doing nicely when uh, 
when Tiger came along. And Tiger came along and they were a cheap shoe. They, they were coming from the Far East and their, their prices were much lower <laughs> than we were. So we, we had to devise a different product. That's when we devised Fab Road, which was a, a road racing shoe, a road running shoe made out of fabric. <clears throat> so instead of it being leather, leather was much more expensive. We could make it and we could compete on price. And uh, so, yes, and that's when Tiger came along, Onitsuka Tiger, yes. Uh, a guy called Stan Eldon. He was, he was quite a good uh, distance runner in the UK. And he, he, he became the distributor. He became sort of... Uh, imported the product but uh, <clears throat> they've always been nice and steady a nice steady company and asic well they changed the name to asic, ASIC yeah, and, yeah. Uh, or asics yeah depends how you say uh, it. how you say it yeah <laughs> nike or nike or adidas or adidas <laughs> yeah exactly yeah we say adidas yeah. yeah all day i dream about soccer <laughs> are you a soccer player i used to play yeah right i mean yeah i am yeah yeah well, when, uh, when Jeff and I, we left the J.D. Foster company, Adidas or Adidas were already in the UK and they already had the soccer market. Then, and that's what, what, this is why we really concentrated on athletics and running. Uh, <clears throat> because that, that um, Adidas were not as big in that. They were quite small. And we, we could manage to get into that without the, the money, the money that it would have taken us to get into, uh, into soccer would have been, well, we didn't have that money. I mean, you've read, you've read the book. We didn't yeah. have the money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was reading in the, in the book, you said, um, I think you took on another, like a sales job while, while you were building Reebok. Is that right? To kind of pay the bills? Yeah, you weren't. I thought we couldn't, we couldn't afford to, uh, to take on a, a representative. So I, I did it myself. And I, and I took on a few other uh, lines that <clears throat> sell at the same time. Uh, <clears throat> but it's there that I, I learned a big lesson, and that is when I went into the retailers. Because in those days, we had about three sports shops in every town. They, they don't exist anymore. It's all become now big, big yeah. malls, and, uh, large uh, uh, sales, large stores, really, are now. And... Uh, so why are we going? These guys are ex-soccer players who used to run the sports store. You know, when did when the soccer playing days were over? They just went, they opened the store. And of course, everybody knew the name, so everybody went to buy whatever piece of sporting goods they wanted, they would go in. And I went in, and I can remember so many times going in and saying, I'm Reebok, and showing the product. Oh, very nice. They love the product. Yeah, nice, nice. But, you know, well, I've got Adidas, and I've got Dunlop, Dunlop were a big British company, and they, they were big at the time. Why do I need Reebok? And I'm thinking, why? Why did they need Reebok? They didn't. <laughs> they didn't need Reebok. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so uh, I've got to find out who does need Reebok. And that was a pretty simple answer to the simple, to a stupid question. The athletes needed Reebok. We went out there, and we we used to sell out the back of the car, you know. But, but you didn't you didn't know. While you were building it, did you not have that target market locked in yet? Is that it was just that early? Because well, yeah, we had, you, we had, you didn't know it was for the athletes, or or what was it? Well, we we knew that uh, the athletes were there, but it was how to get to them. And usually, mm-hmm. the sports shop was where the athletes would go. But when we went round, we we got to meetings and we got to sports meetings, and we could sell out to the back of the car. And uh, I'm thinking, well. This, this is the way I, 
I just need a way of going straight to these athletes. Right. And that, that's when I, uh, I discovered the Three A's handbook. The Three A's was the Amateur Athletic Association of the UK. And every, uh, every running club was a, was a member of the Athletic Association. And they produced a handbook with the name of every secretary of every club in the country. So that was me. It was a letter to every secretary and offering a nice discount. And then and asking that if somebody wanted to be an agent, that they could be my agent. And my first letter get, got me over 100 agents. Wow. They were really hungry. They, they really needed to, uh, to become part of our organization. So, so the incentive, so, sorry to cut you off. So the incentive was a discount for the shoe, and then that's what drew, drew them in? And that's what I thought. And I thought okay. that that would be it. But I, I think what really worked better was the fact that they felt they had a direct link with Reebok and Reebok, uh-huh. our image, our image really shot up. Suddenly we become, well, the best, the running shoe company. And I think, in fact, it was on the inside of the tongue. We had a label on the inside and we called it the athlete's shoe. And uh, so we became recognized as probably the best athlete's shoe at that time in Europe. We, we were good. We were really good. And although we didn't have a lot of sales in Europe itself, our sales were mainly in the UK. And that's when I, I thought I need a bigger market. And that's when I decided I'd try for America because that was a big market. And it'd uh, take 12 years. You didn't know, but it'd take 12 years to break into that market, right? <laughs> just a minute. 11. 11. 11, got, oh, 11 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Okay. So, so during those days, okay. So you were going out to those, uh, track meets was Jeff just back at the factory, you know, designing and making shoes or was that his skill set? And, and I guess like what, what skill set did you bring to, to Reebok? Well, during the, uh, during the week, Monday to Friday, uh, Jeff would look after the factory. That's what he wanted to do. He oh. wanted, yeah, he loved the factory. And he said, Joe, you do everything else. But Jeff was also a runner. He loved running and he, and he loved cycling. So he, he was a member of the local athletic club. So he was out at weekend. He, he would go out, he would go out to the meets and he would be part of the runners. So he'd be in, in the race and I would be there with the, uh, with the car, selling out of the back of the, <laughs> back of the car. <clears throat> so my, my sport was badminton. I, I played badminton. That was my sport. Was it popular back in those days? Badminton? Yeah. Yes, it was quite popular. But, uh, um, I, I played at a reasonable level. In fact, uh, when, when I was, in, uh, when I was do, in my, doing my national service, I, I was in the RAF. And uh, I, although you do two years national service, I, I did, I, 12, for 12 months, I did nothing but play badminton <laughs> for, for the RAF. Yeah, I was going all over the place. It was great, great fun. I didn't have to do, I was on radar. And radar was, it was interesting, very interesting. But say I only spent uh, about 12 months doing that. And the other 12 months I was off playing badminton in, in one way or another. So yeah, badminton was uh, yeah, fairly, because like Seattle, we got a lot of wet, gloomy weather. So you did things inside and badminton yep. was an indoor sport. So, so I guess that's why badminton was pretty popular. I think, I think in our local town, we had something like, 60 teams oh was, wow. okay so it, was, it got pretty competitive then oh yeah 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 okay we had, we had at least four leagues so you know it was quite good and that's just in a local town of 
less than 200,000 people. So, uh, so yeah, that was pretty good. So badminton, yes, certainly in the northwest of England, we were very, it was a very popular sport. So that's what I did. But Jeff, he, he, was, he was out there in all that bad weather, you know, running the fields and running through uh, streams and whatever. You know. and, and we knew a lot of people, a lot of good people. That, uh, they, they all came to join Rebo. So that's how we grew. We grew our, our business sort of very much with the athletes wasn't just sort of selling to sports stores. No, we were selling to the people who, who were wearing the shoes. And that was good. But America was something different. I, in America, you, you, when I was, uh, say, in my day in the sort of uh, early, late 60s, well, mid to late 60s, we got about 350 million Americans. And, uh, and what, what happened is in America, in the very late 60s and all the way through the 70s, running became a big category. Mm. Everybody was out running. And at first it was just to keep fit and train. Then along came the 5K events, the 10K events, the half marathons, the marathons, all these things grew and they grew to a massive size. And you got the New York, well, the Boston Marathon had been going on for many years and Boston Marathon had been there almost forever. But then you got the New York Marathon. So running became so big, really big. And probably we'll say 10% of America were out there running and that's, you know, if you think of 360 million, about 35, 36 million Americans wanted a pair of shoes to go out. And... So that became, that became a big market that uh, I had to try and get into. Yeah. And, and, and the good thing about that was that you, you've probably heard of Runner's World. I don't know if it's still out there. Is it still I, out there? I, I, I saw it in your book, but I haven't, I haven't no, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't heard of it. Well, Runner's World became became the Bible. Everybody, mm. everybody would buy Runner's World, mainly because it would tell them who were, who were winning races in these 10 k and where the next big event would be, where the next marathon would be, the next 10K or half marathon. You know, that would tell them. So they'd buy this magazine. And advertising you know, started off fairly cheap at something like $10 a quarter page and went up to something like $100 for a quarter page very quickly. So a lot of influence. And it's when, when uh, Bob Anderson, who published this magazine, he decided they got so big, they decided they knew which were the best shoes. And, and they, uh, they decided which was number one. And again, this is in the book. And, uh, and he only did that twice before he changed it to, be, to talk about five stars. Well, you can imagine, Phil Knight, Nike, they were number one, and he was importing shoes from Japan. Right. Now, how do you... How do you sort of uh, scale up? You know, there's 36 million runners, maybe 10% wanted that number one shoe. You know what it's like being an American. You know, everybody wants, what's the, what's the number one? I want it. And right. want it. <laughs> they'll, wait, they'll wait for two days in front of the store just to get it. Yep. <laughs> so, so maybe three and a half million Americans wanted this number one shoe. And could Phil Knight get that from uh, Japan? Could he scale up? No. It, and, and they were buying them from Onitsuka. They were buying them from Tiger. Onitsuka were making the, uh, uh, the Nikes to begin with. So he couldn't do that. So the retail trade, they, were, they, were, oh, they had a dilemma. Yeah, the shoe that everybody wanted, they couldn't get. And when they could get it, well, Bob Anderson decided, oh, no, 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 no. We'll have another number one shoe now. Oh, so but the, the star ratings, that, that was a really good answer to that. 
and a five-star shoe. There could be three or four or five-star shoes, which meant, you know, you wouldn't have this starvation of product because there's three or four companies there. And, uh, you know, we were, we were that well into the running and athletics, and we knew how to, make, how to build a five-star shoe. We knew that. But at that time, that was our job. Our job was getting out there and doing the right things. So we knew we could do a five-star shoe, and, uh, and, and that's what we did with Aztec. You know, we, we did that. In fact, it, it was part of what we called the gold range. Aztec was a training shoe. That would be the volume. Uh, Midas was a racing shoe and you'd sell a lot of racing shoes but really that's for the top runners a racing shoe which was very light and then we call that Midas and uh, then we had a spike shoe as well uh, a track shoe and that was Inca so that was our gold range and we tested these out in uh, in Edmonton mm. in the Commonwealth Games the Commonwealth Games in Edmonton in 1978 and we got a shed load of medals. We really did well. Now, our gold range really worked. And we, it was great for us. But it was in the January of uh, 1970, February of 1979, I was again at the NSGA show. And uh, you'll know it's pretty cold. Pretty cold in Seattle. At, uh, but, but again, you're on the West Coast. so you, you Right. It's not like the East Coast. The East Coast is a lot colder, yeah. You know, you've got the water. The Pacific keeps that that air that's coming to you. It keeps it wet. And the it mountains, keeps, yeah, yep. But it yep. keeps it warmer. But when you right. get uh, up to the middle of America, the East Coast of America, that's when it's got across uh, all that land, and it's become very, very cold. And Chicago, which is uh, oh yeah, man, it's crazy. Yeah, Chicago really, really, really cold in uh, in February. It's freezing. But you know. That was their decision today. In fact, the other thing was they did three years in Chicago, then one year in Houston. And I mean, the difference is immense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Houston's a lot warmer and more humid. I'm oh. actually going, I'm, I'm going to Texas. I have a flight tomorrow. I'm going to El Paso. It's on the uh, west uh, side of uh, Texas. We, we know El Paso. We have a friend there. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A friend Man, you have there. a friend. You have friends that all over the place, huh? That's yeah. awesome. I love it. We do have friends, although, but this this friend is helping us um, have a translation on the book into Spanish. Wow. Okay. So he's working with us and helping us to get it into Spanish. Uh, he's working with a guy from Mexico City, but uh, our friend uh, Jose, he's he's obviously of Spanish descent, so right. uh, so it's good. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So you're going down there. Well, like I yeah, say, my uncle, my uncle lives down there. All right. Yeah. So, you say you're going down there. You're going down there to stay. Or you, no, 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 no. Just, just for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Just for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. just get, yeah. get a little bit of that sunshine and then come back to this. You know what I mean? <laughs> Got to get out of this. Little... Mm. I think we're the same. That, um, you, you have the opportunity in America to travel down to warmer places. You know, and, in, and in Europe, yeah, different countries, of course. So even right. the France, the south of France is warmish. But it's not warm. We have, we have to go to the uh, Canary Islands. Canary uh, Islands. Okay. Red Reef. And, that, and that's not Where Richard Branson is, I think, right? Isn't, doesn't he have his place there or something? Richard Branson is somewhere in the Caribbean. It is, uh, oh, okay. Maybe something different. Really? Oh, Mallorca. Yeah, but it's not. That's not he had the, the hotel in the Balearics in uh, Mallorca. Julie reminds me he has a hotel. Does he still have the hotel? I don't think he does. I don't think he, he had a hotel in. He had a hotel there. Oh, but okay. Has, Necker Island is. Uh, Where's Necker Island? It's in the Caribbean. Bahamas. 
near the Bahamas, yes. So it's a Yaknek Island, which is uh, still in a, a warm place, but yes. And uh, so we, we would we would winter somewhere like down there. And uh, even, even now, having been to Dubai, you know, we, we quite like the idea of going to Dubai for winter. Although Dubai, you know, is surrounded by sand. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, what is it? Like a uh, hundred years ago or 50, nothing was there, you know? It's just pure desert. Yeah. They were, they were actually celebrating the 50th. Or 50th. That's what it is. They, they built that, you know, country up like so quickly. 50 years. Yeah. That's right. Only Crazy. 50. They built it out of the sand. Yeah. So, so, so it is incredible, is it? but but it's a good place to be in winter, I guess. You know, you, and and those big malls. I mean, the Dubai Mall is so massive, absolutely massive. But I guess in summer, you've you've got to be inside a mall. You know, going yeah. outside, you sort of just ah, can't breathe. Yeah. No, I hear I hear they they have like uh, cooled um, flooring too, right? For the AC because it gets so hot, it gets like to fifty, I think. Right. degrees celsius yeah it's 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 crazy it is crazy yeah but uh so so you're off down to say el paso he has a <laughs> you won't know our friend i'm quite sure but what what does he have he has a container company isn't he yeah it's packaging a container and packaging company down there in el paso but uh yeah but anyway he's helping us but that's 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 down there meanwhile we're in chicago and i'm in chicago in 1979 with our wonderful shoe, which is going to be a five star, going to be a five star. Right, right, right. You didn't yeah. know that, yeah, yeah, at that time, I yeah. Didn't know that, no, but uh, I had a lot of people. Um, Kmart, you'll know Kmart. Yeah. Kmart wanted to buy twenty five thousand pairs of me. Yeah. And by the way, by the way, when when you did go to that those trade shows, were you pitching Reebok as this huge brand already, or were you just saying, hey, we have this little factory and in Bolton or wherever it was, you know, a little factory. Were, were you were you pitching it as a huge brand already for them to, you know, trust you with wanting to order 25,000 pairs? I, I think it's what people have in their imagination, what they Perception. think. Perception. Okay. The perception is that uh, a big brand. In fact, we had this discussion uh, with, uh, with Paul Fireman. We, we've been sort of, we just broke into the market and we've been there maybe 12, 18 months and they're having the sales meeting and everybody's together. And Paul Feynman's saying, well, the message I'm getting is that everybody thinks we're a big company. You know, we still thought of ourselves as this small company breaking into the American market. And uh, yeah, a lot of the guys saying, yeah, yeah, they think we're a big company. And so Paul says, well, why don't we think we're a big company then? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, what do you think? What do you think it was? Was it about you or Paul that with the like you were just such great salesmen or or what was it that that made them feel like, you know, gave you that perception? Well, I, I think that the thing was that we, we were so lucky. You know, we're right on the scene and we were there when running became something big. So it's running that became big. And we, we were actually noted as a running company. And so everybody's seen Nike grow from nothing to big. So I think they perceived everybody, oh, they're all big companies. And you know, that was a perception, even though you know, when, uh, when Kmart wanted 25,000 pairs, and that's six months for our factory. Um, but 
I, you know, I'd, I'd figured out that if we if we got a five star shoe, I figured out we would need help. Right. We, we and you know, you can either be a, a shoemaking company, so you're either a shoemaker or you're a brand builder. And we became brand builder. We were building a brand. The to produce that product, you know, we would we were obviously uh, we were hitting well above our weight, well above. We were hitting people, and people thought we were big. And I, uh, I, I had a friend at Barter. You probably don't even know Barter these days, although there is a Barter in Canada. Um, Barter used to be the biggest footwear manufacturing company in the world. They had factories in almost every country. And they still have, uh, in retail, they still have about 1,500 retail outlets, and they still manufacture but they, they manufacture in the South, South America and they manufacture in India. So they're, you know, they're not seen too much. They're not certainly not seen in Europe and they're not seen in, in the States. You don't see them now, uh, even though they're still a big company. But they said they would help. I had a friend there and uh, he would help, fine. But you know, Kmart said, yeah, but we need a better price, Joe. You know, we, uh, you know, we, we gotta compete. And I knew that getting a better price meant that our production would have to go to the Far East, South were, Korea. Were you guys more expensive than the other brands at that time, like Nike and Adidas, or, or were you, you got relative? Think, yeah, yeah, we weren't. We were not more expensive than Adidas. In fact, Adidas made okay. a lot of mistakes by continuing with production in France and in Germany because they were expensive. But uh, you look at Nike. Nike were produced in Japan, and in those right. days, cheap. Japan was cheap in those days. Uh, yeah. So, you know, they, they could import the product, they could put the price, they could compete with anybody and still make a chunk of money. Right. <laughs> this, was, chunk. This, was, this was in 79, you said, right? Um, 79, yes. Okay, so was, this was during also the, the oil crisis, correct? Around same time, no? Was it that time? I, yeah, I think in the 70s, right? I think uh, mid-70s. I was going to ask you, did that like... Because we're kind of going through the same, you know, it's kind of uh, recycling. Same history repeats itself, right? So you know, all time highs in inflation, um, economies, you know, for here in the, here in the U.S., you know, did that? How did that affect you guys, at, or did it at all? Well, you see, then you know, the, the world goes through a, a series of recessions, right? The sports industry doesn't. The sports hmm. is never because what is happening is that everybody. If they've got spare time, they take up a sport. They want to play sport. So we're all going towards spending our time either on a golf course, running, you know, participating in more and more sport. And surprisingly enough, uh, with Reebok, we never, ever, never went through a recession. The, the worst time that we have had as Reebok as a brand, and I'm not that in, involved at the moment, has been uh, the coronavirus. Yeah? Oh, the wow, virus. okay. Because the virus has stopped everything, stopped yeah. people moving, stopped. So, so that's the only time. Otherwise, we, we never had a problem. We continued to grow, grow, grow. In fact, you know, the more people couldn't do something else, the more they would go out and play sport. And, uh, and, th and that has happened. So all the, uh, all the sports companies really have just kept growing. And, uh, you know, people like Nike, the Nike were importing their shoes. I mean, Nike, I mean, Phil, 
Phil Knight started off as being the importer for Tiger. And that, mm. That's how yep, yep. He, he was blue with the sport. And that, that was his business. And it, it's only when he he couldn't get them to do different things. Borman wanted some changes and uh, wanted to see a different product. They wouldn't do it. That, that's when he started to call himself Nike and designed their own product. Um, so so they, they, they were growing rapidly. I mean, Nike grew fantastic. And, and Adidas didn't, but Adidas, again, they were making the shoes in Europe. Uh, Nike was make, getting his shoes from Japan, and then, and then he got his shoes from uh, Taiwan. So, you know, they were, they were right on price. So when Kmart wanted us to uh, get a better price, I'd, I already knew, again, I already knew the fact that we're, everything's moving to the east. I'd been in, you know, our factory had been producing product now for some 20 years, 15, 16, 17, yeah, 20, you know, nearly 20 years we've been in there. And we had seen the footwear industry was moving, moving to Asia. That's where, yeah, they could produce it. And they produce good product. You know, the, the samples that we were getting, it's like they almost made us feel ashamed. They were you know, to, to make a product at that price, and it was so good. It was really so good. So, in fact, I made my first world round the world trip in late 1979 to see the factories in, in Korea. And that was quite an adventure. But yeah, we had to produce them at a better price. So that was good. That's, that's where 1979 in February in Chicago, where I met Paul Feynman. And Paul Feynman, he, he, was, he was Boston camping. And Boston camping, they were selling tents, ground sheets, uh, fishing rods, everything you, you can sort of think of that uh, sort of you would sell in an outdoor shop. And <clears throat> so that, that was Paul. And he was running that company with his brother, Steve and his, his brother-in-law. And so the three of them were running the company, and I think they'd probably been running for about 10 years. And you, you, could, you could see, I could see that Paul was a bit fed up with the company. It wasn't going anywhere. It was, he, he needed something. And he said to me, again, in, uh, in Chicago, 1979, he said, Joe, I'd, I'd love to be a distributor. And right, Paul, fine. He said, but we need a five-star shoe. Right? I said, come and have a look at this one, Aztec. Come and have a look. And Paul, well, okay, Joe, okay. You think, no, nah, that's it. This is going to be a five-star shoe. He said, well, that's the problem. It's going to be a five-star shoe. He said, we need yeah, one, yeah. <laughs> we need one right now, yeah. Said, well, right now. He said, well, look, that becomes a five-star shoe. I'm your man. We had to wait, of course, until uh, August. August is when the shoe edition comes out for Runner's World. So from February, that was in February, you had to wait until August. Yeah. And oh, okay. it, it comes out, you know, the, the August edition comes out sort of the last week in July. I'd been across to America and, and I'd seen the operation there for Kmart. Big operation. And I'm thinking, well, okay, 25,000 pairs, that's a big order. Yeah. Me, big. But I'm thinking, you know, they'll give me so much floor space. And if my shoes don't sell good enough to make the profit they need from that square meter of floor space, uh, 25,000 could be my first and last order. 
And I thought, oh, yeah, I can't think that big and that that way. It's different. But I went along to Boston after uh, seeing came up. Uh, I met up with with Paul and his uh, and his brother and his brother in law. Nice operation. This uh, Boston camping. Nice. Yes. This this would be great. Yeah. You know they already have some rep, some reps. They already set up for selling. Fantastic. And Paul actually came across the UK. He came across to. Uh, to see, well, you know, who are we, Bob? He was certainly disappointed with our factory. But as I said to Paul, Luke Paul, the factory has created the brand, but the brand will be manufactured in the Far East because that's where we're going to have to go. And we know how to make the shoes. And we know that they know how to make the shoes. So the, the factory is not a big thing. What is big is our brand. Mm. We, you got to think of Reebok. And we took into a few races, you know, the, the few of these that were going on, 5Ks, 10Ks. And everyone we took into, the winner was in Reebok. Not in Nike, not in Adidas, not in anybody. The Reebok. And over 50% of the field were running in Reebok. And uh, I'm sure that Paul knew we fixed those races. We picked the races that we knew we were going to win. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure Paul knew that, but... He was obviously quite impressed by the fact there were so many people wearing Reebok. So he, right. he was. So we we come to the last uh, week in July. How did you get those athletes to wear those shoes? By the way, did you just send it to them and just hope for them, or did you pay them to to wear it? Or well, the uh, athletics in the northwest of England is good, but it's not world class. And you know, the, <clears throat> it may be international, but, you know, these are not the top of the world uh, athletes. And they, they live very close to us. <clears throat> you know, we, our, uh, our contacts were now a good 100 miles away uh, circumference. We had a lot of top athletes in that area who bought our shoes. And if they were really good, we gave them shoes. So, so we were giving shoes out to the top men. Again, it was influencing. It was how do you get and that so was we, way before influencing was, you know, influencer marketing was like big, right? I mean, it didn't just get big till the past, I don't know, five years. What we what we used to do in Europe, we we had Reebok Racing Club. Did you read Reebok Racing Club? We uh, we had a lot of these good athletes in Europe, and uh, and we gave them shoes, and they all became a member of the racing club, you know, because the racing club you, you didn't have to have. Uh, your local club or running your local club's colours because a lot of people who ran in marathons, they just didn't belong to a club. You know, they, so so those marathons, they were open. You could wear whatever vest you want. So we used to give vests to the, the our top athletes. And then we used to that because they had Reebok right across the front, Reebok racing club, wow, our own colours, and they were all in, in Reebok shoes. And we used to tell them in these, like the uh, Brussels marathon, or uh, whatever marathon, whatever country, they would be invited across to, to run because they were good runners. And we used to tell them, you run at the front for as long as you can. <laughs> Just get that picture. That's it. That's all we want. <laughs> Television. So get the visibility. Yeah. yeah. So we used to, to run at the front. And for that, we would keep them in shoes. And uh, we didn't have to pay them. As long as we kept them in new shoes and running shoes, and they, they, everybody loved, they loved to be part of the Reebok operation. You know, we, that's funny. Yeah. We were the ones that had to try harder. You know, we were the ones that really had to do better, and uh, and that came across. And so 
You know, those are the type of things that we did. But we go back to the last week of uh, July and uh, <clears throat> I phoned Paul and said, Paul, why don't you go down to the local kiosk and have a look if Runner's World is out there? Because Runner's World, really, it, whilst it sold into Europe, it was always weeks later. You know, it didn't, didn't come across. I mean, these days they just publish, or they, they got to the point where they published it in different countries. But this was only published in America. So why, why don't you go down to the kiosk and see how we did with, uh, with Runner's World uh, shoe edition? It was an hour later but when he came back to me. And he said, Joe, Aztec said, you got five stars. Fabulous. Five stars. Oh, well, that was it. We were in there. We were on, we were on the hook. And that was it. We, we'd done it. Um, but not only that, he said, Midas and Inca, they also got five stars. So we launched in America with three five-star shoes. That's crazy. Yeah. Looking back, you know, what do you feel like made Reebok successful? Was it the product or the story? Well, what made it successful was aerobics. That's what made it successful. And that in itself is a story. You know, we, we had uh, Arnold, Angel, if you call him Angel, but Arnold. He, he was Arnold. Uh, he's a Cuban he's, guy, right? Cuban guy. He, got him, yeah. he was down there. And he was a good runner. He was a good athlete. He actually, uh, I, I think he, he tried out for the, uh, for the Olympic Games at one point. He was a good runner. But he was, our, uh, he was our tech rep down there in Los Angeles. And uh, it's, it's his wife. His wife was going to these aerobic classes. And Arnold says, well, aerobics? What, what on earth is aerobics? Well, she said, we're exercising to music. Oh, yeah. they, they, they loved it. Absolutely loved it. And uh, so Arnold went down to the next, uh, next class, next lesson, and uh, instructor there in a pair of sneakers, and half the class in sneakers, same sneakers. And that was Arnhill's really, that was his light bulb moment. Why, why don't we build a special shoe for these girls and uh, make it on a woman's last? Make it just women's sizes. Yeah, the idea, not so much was he making a, a different shoe. He was making a shoe for women. That's, that's what the, really was the genius. This wasn't another Reebok shoe for anybody, just a uh, male, female, doesn't know. This we're going to make on a woman's last for women. We're going to make it out of love leather. Love leather, yes, love leather. Make it out of love leather, nice and light and just a little bit of colour, all white and nice cushion sole. And he, he took the red eye from uh, Los Angeles up to Boston overnight to see Paul Fireman. And he said to Paul, Paul, look, this, this is going on down in LA. And Paul said, slow down, slow down. <laughs> Why do we want to be making dancing shoes? And this is not, this is exercise. Yeah, but it's for girls dancing and whatever. We're, we're a running company, Arnold. And we're doing very nicely. You know, we're doing, we're expanding. We're doing great. Well, Arnold was a bit disappointed, but not put off. He went round to the back door to see Steve Liggett. He, you know, he knew Steve quite well. We're a small company, remember. You know, we're not that big. So he knew Steve. Steve, uh, this is going on in L.A. You know, can you make me these shoes? Get me a couple of hundred pairs. Well, he must have been quite persuasive because at least 200 pairs came down to Arnold. Arnold gave them to the instructors and to some of the leading girls down there, and they loved them. They loved them. They didn't just go to do aerobics in them. They just went to work in them. They went out in them. They loved them so much. The problem, they were made out of glove leather. 
and they fell apart after about four weeks, maybe five weeks. Gone. Love leather, love leather yeah. is only 0.8 of a millimetre thick. Now, if you think that, 0.8 of a millimetre, and then you've got to take some of it off so that the glue can stick the sole to it. So you're left with something like 0.6 of a millimetre, which is nothing. And once you get some pressure on that, they were just blowing out. Fall, Fall apart, yeah. So what did they do, these guys? Well, let's put some nylon at the back and strengthen it. You know, make it stronger. Put nylon in the back. I got to hear about the fact that we're making these shoes about that time. But, um, put nylon in the back. But that, now you've stopped your breathing. Right. You know, because leather's got this natural quality to breathe. And, uh, oh, well, it's not breathing anymore. What do we do? So we started punching holes in the front. They put nice holes in so that it was breathing again. Wow. And, you know, when Jane Fonda bought a pair and she started using them on her video, uh, um, exercise videos, all of a sudden, Reebok just, just exploded. Exploded with the women. And the women, you know, only a few people, runners, knew that we were a running company. All of a sudden, we became known as a woman's company. So all about women. And the explosion was incredible. We were a $9 million business at that time when this happened. $9 million. A year later, we were $30 million. Wow. Wow. You're after that, we were $90 million. Then $300 million. Then $900 million. The explosion. So we we were no longer looking to sell the shoes. We were looking to get the production. How do we get the production to keep up with that? We managed to answer the financial problem, but a guy, a UK guy called Stephen Rubin, um, he came in and he was he sourced product. That was his business. One of his businesses was to source product out of South Korea. So all we needed from him was a, a credit line. So we got a credit line, and once you got the credit line, it just allowed us to explode. But the biggest problem was going from 300 million dollars to 900 million dollars how do you get the production for that this was the same bob anderson had created bob anderson created a number one how do you get the production we were very lucky again lucky again you know we had so much luck in this in this journey but the luck luck was do you believe that you create your own luck or is it just you do and if you're around long enough and and if you don't let the opportunities pass you Mm. everybody you, you will have an opportunity, which you've got to, you, you've got to jump on, yeah? Because it, the opportunity can be somewhere, and you, don't be too late. They're all around us. You just have to look for them. All around you, yeah. You just have to. But, you know, our biggest problem, we're going to say from, three, from 600 uh, to 900, uh, from 300 to 900, it, it meant $600 million. Of, That's... And the good thing that happened not the good thing for Nike because they just they just run into a wall. They've been expanding rapidly, but they hit the wall and they had to pull out of at least three factories in South Korea, just when we wanted those three factories. So we just moved in. Otherwise, I think that perfect would... timing. Yeah, is it timing or is it luck? Luck. I mean, it's <laughs> a little bit of both, right? A little bit of both, yes. A little bit of both, absolutely. Because had we not been able to keep up with that demand, other companies would have come in. You know, right. Nike and uh, Adidas, they were both 
uh, both to put on one side. They didn't know how to get into this woman's market because they, they were known as male, sweaty, male and sweaty. This was nice. Female, yeah. Yep. Yep. Wow, this company. And, you know, they owned the company at that point. Women owned the company. So that, that was, you know, that was a big thing that brought Reebok from a small running company into a very big sports company, which was really women driven by women and it and it grew it grew to i think it was about the, well we started to do uh basketball we started to do many uh, american football but you know we expanded uh football you signed play. you signed my favorite all-time player uh nba player of all time alan iverson. iverson i used to wear his shoes back back in the day the one uh, with the zip up yeah well they, they're still uh they're still producing those i mean now now i mean <sighs> The company was sold to Adidas. Adidas have now sold the company to authentic brands, right? Authentic brands, which is Shaq O'Neal and Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq O'Neal loves Reebok. Yeah. That's important. He loved Reebok uh, because Reebok were his first company when he, uh, when he started. Started, yep. Yeah, he got the draft. And uh, I mean, he's a big boy. It's, uh, Shaq, you know, seven foot and sort of the, the rest is there also. But he loves the brand, which is... Have you met him? So important. Pardon? I've have never you, met, have him. You met him. No, yeah. No, no. Okay. I, expect, I expect very shortly we'll be getting together. But, you know, it, um, we're, we're not due in, uh, in America until probably April. Um, at that time, we'll probably be getting together. But that, that'll be good to, to, to meet up with Shaq. Because, yes, I mean, we need people who love the company. Yeah. yeah. What, are, what are your thoughts on the brand today? Because, uh, you know, like you said, you left in 84, I think. It was a multi-billion dollar company and then they got sold to Adidas and then now Authentic Brands. Do you feel like they lost, it, it lost its, I guess, like identity or like, what, you know, what are, your, what are your thoughts on it? I left in 89 and the company was doing okay. And uh, they sold the company to Adidas in 2005. And Adidas paid a lot of money for that company. And I guess most people should have understood they, they actually bought the company to do, uh, to do the right thing for Adidas. Adidas wanted to get more, uh, more headway in, in America. They, they needed to get that. They needed to get the deeper touch. So they moved a lot of things from Reebok into Adidas, which did Adidas okay, didn't do Reebok any good at all. Right. Because they yeah. even switched the logo, right? They went from the um, the one you created to that Delta, yeah. right? And I, yeah, it doesn't look as good. I don't know why. I don't think they purposely did that for any reason. I think what they were trying to do, if they were trying to do anything good for Reebok, was to get them more into fitness as a category, to put them into fitness and to create something which looked more like fitness than the Reebok brand itself. But the problem was that, Yes, things were going better for Adidas, but you know, Adidas and Reebok were really—they were—they were on the same road, <laughs> you know, same product. They were covering the same areas, and uh, to try to put Reebok different, maybe that's why they decided they would change the lettering. They changed the lettering, and they also changed the delta. But five years ago, I think they got a new guy in at uh, Adidas, and uh, they decided that was totally wrong. So they, they came back. The silhouette came back. You know, we got back to the vector silhouette and 
the, the name styling came back to the Mototectura styling. And now all the, uh, all the Reebok classics have that now. And the brand has been coming back. It's been really coming back. And authentic brands, ABG, I mean, they, they paid an awful lot of money for the brand this time. Two and a half billion, I think, or something. Two and a half billion is figure. When most people thought at the best, it was worth one and a half million. But they did. But that that was Shaq saying, "I want the brand." Right. right. I want, you know. And he's a big guy. You don't. Yeah, and he's he's got a lot of influence. So I'm sure it's going to come back for sure. I mean, didn't really lose it because I I do CrossFit too, and Reebok was huge in CrossFit. Yes. Um, and then also the UFC. I don't know if the partnership ended there, but the UFC also you know boosted that uh, brand as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're, they're out of, uh, I think they're out of both of those now, but there's still a link with CrossFit and with Les Mills, who uh, they're, they're a big, uh, um, we'll say, gym people, you know, they're big yep. in the football. So, and, and I think now that uh, now that Shaq is back in there, I think you'll you'll see Reebok coming back in into the main sports, and first of all, it'll be basketball, I'm pretty sure. And they're already... Uh, remaking Iverson's, Alan Iverson's shoes are already. Oh, I can't wait for those. If I get those ones, you think I can get them autographed by you? That That's the easiest part of the job. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. No, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to order those. All right. So I, I know we're a little bit short on time. We have a segment. It's called the Made for More Mindset segment, right? It's a okay. segment where we get insight into the mindset and successful habits that Joe does to make what Joe is. Right. So there's uh, six questions. So the first one is what book had the biggest impact on your career and why? What book had? That's, that's, that's interesting because um, I'm trying, I've never been asked that question before. I might, I might be more prepared. What book? If we talk about people, Winston Churchill would have been my hero. And so Winston Churchill is a man who was determined to do things. And, uh, uh, and he was an amazing man. So, I've read a few of his books and whether they had much to do with my career, they may have, you know, they may have with personality wise, you may have that, but I didn't, I, I think picking up business books is something fairly recent. You know, when Jeff and I were starting, I don't think the word entrepreneur existed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when, when you're thinking about this and probably uh, I would like to think that uh, I've created a book which is probably going to be very interesting to a very lot of people, you know, that because uh, we do get a lot of people saying, Joe, picked up your book and couldn't put it down <laughs> until I'd read it all. Okay, won't apply to everybody, but a lot of people can see and can want to enjoy the journey, particularly now, now that people have had to stay at home, had to work from home, they all started thinking, I could be, a, I could be an entrepreneur. Why, why do I need to go so, to work? Why can't I do it from here now? So I think the book is telling them that, yeah, you can do it. But, you know, it's, there's some tough times. Where, where can they find the book, by the way? Oh, well, at the moment in America, I think it's still available through Amazon. But they can find it on our website, which is www.jwfosterheritage.com could find it on there but a lot of the stores still have it and, and i know they still have it in america but barnes we, and noble and all of them yeah, barnes and noble, uh, but we're, we're coming back with we're self-publishing i think i told you this earlier that we're taking away that the um whilst they're, they're very good uh 
the, the guys who did the publishing, and they just only give about three weeks of uh, sort promotion of, uh, effort to promote the book. Mm. And, and then they just go, well, they also told us, or an agent told us, that these sort of books, really, they last for at least four years because it takes time to get through to the community that likes this sort of book. This is not just uh, a fiction book. You know, this, this tells you the story of, you know, this is how we did it. So, you know, this, this is how we did it. So, so maybe my book is uh, more persuasive than any book that I've read. <laughs> I love it. I, it was a great read, honestly. I'm, I'm not just saying that to flatter you, but it, it was such a, a really good book. Um, second one is, why do you think most people don't succeed? Well, they're probably not as stupid as me. They probably, they probably give up when it was maybe make a lot of sense to give up. And, mm. you know, I, I think what you have to do, you have to have that tenacity, that one thing in you that says, no, not yet. You know, we've got still got places to go. You know, we, we may be not making much headway, but we, you know, we just keep trying. You know, we, uh, we just keep pushing. And, uh, and I think people... And also, you know, it's, it's the people surrounding you as well. You've got to make sure you have the right people because you're a family. And if you can get the right family with you, you know, they'll keep you going on those moments because we, we had some desperate moments when my brother died, just, mm. just as we got... I mean, it was, he died at the time when we just got successful. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe had this happened before we got to that point. Maybe uh, maybe something there might have clicked in my brain and said, no, you know, the journey is too expensive. You know, for a life for the life is too expensive. So, yeah. So that's yeah. how it. How did yeah? How did that change your perspective on life when when he passed away? Well, it, it was a disaster, but you know, it almost redoubled my effort. Just mm. well, now we're going to be successful. Yeah, it motivated you. Yeah, I. I mean, we never had a bad word between us. We. Jeff, and I must have done a lot of stupid things because he said, you do, yeah. And he, he looked after the factory very nicely, very well. But I, I was doing things. I, I nearly took it out of business on, on one of my decisions to go. I would still go with the same decision because I don't know what I could have done differently. Right. But yeah, my responsibility. Yeah. So I must have done a lot of things. And uh, I, yeah, but, you know, I still had enough people, still enough uh Energy, still people wanting to push you. But I probably did redouble the effort then. I probably, I didn't have to ask anybody. I didn't have to go to Jeff and say, what do you think about this? No, my, my shot. I just did it. And, and, and I think that helped, particularly when we'd got to that point. You know, it was still a very delicate situation. We still didn't have any money then. And we were just, you know, just one shot. We got the shoe that would take us in, but would we manage to get there? So still had to work harder to get it so yeah it probably helped me double the effort love it uh third one is do you need money to make money do you need money to make money it does help it does help but you know you mustn't let it um blur the uh your focus on, mm. on really where you're taking your brand uh and, and the family that you're taking with you you you, you you got to not just live for money. I, I, I think also, in fact, I've read of late that uh, the ABG group are very much like that. They're very much family orientated, which I applaud. You know, I think that's going to help because 
people start working with people and getting a lot of fun out of it. And when you get a lot of fun out of life, you know, money becomes secondary. Money becomes something that, that happens because you're having fun, you're enjoying it. And that's infectious. You know, whenever, when you're, it's so infectious, other people start having fun, other people enjoy it. So, yeah, it, it, and, it's, and that's good. So money, you know, money helps, but I, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's the be all of everything. Yeah, and it helps more in, in some ways than others, not in the success of building oh, the brand that's coming out of you, know, you. That brand that's coming out of you depends upon you, depends upon that sort of uh, optimism, that energy, that will to, to win. You know, it's like thinking that this race is never over until we've won. Yeah, and it, it's doing those sort of things that, uh, that build the brand. But money does help. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And you gotta, you gotta enjoy, like you said, you gotta enjoy what you're doing. It's gotta be fun, otherwise, it's not worth it. Um, which leads me to my next question: Is can money buy you happiness? Money can buy a lot of things, but I think happiness is people. I think being with the right people, because you could sit alone and you could have any, any. Anything you want. If you've got the money, you can buy any car you want. You can buy anything. You can do it. I, mean, I remember that, I mean, I'd done numerous things during, during my time. And I remember being in Monte Carlo, Monaco there, and being invited into the palace. I'm going into the palace and sharing a glass of uh, champagne with, uh, uh, with Rainier, Prince Rainier. And uh, it was a great experience. But, you know, I have nobody around who was with me. Yeah? And it, it's sharing those things, sharing those moments like, gosh, do you remember when we did whatever? I mean, I've stood, I've stood on the square there, the, you know, where the palace is many, many times since then. But, you know, and thinking, you know, that was the door I went to. <laughs> yeah. But so I, I think, you know, it, it is having those people around me, sharing those moments of time. And right now, I mean, I spent 10 years just traveling the world most of the time on my own, yeah? And I, and I look back on that and think, how did he do that, Joe? And I, I can't even answer the question myself. How did he do that? How did he just go and get another ticket and a handful of American Express traveler's checks and, and go? And sometimes you had no chance of making any uh, connection back home because you just couldn't get telephone calls through in those days. But I guess it was just that, that, that will to do it. Now, Julie and I, we travel together. You got and a if, partner now, yeah. <laughs> if anybody wants me, they want two people. They have to get two tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, fifth one is, how do you define success? Um, happiness, I think. I think, I think success is if, you're, if you end up being a happy person and you you, you got a lot of memories and uh, you, you can talk to people and, you know, and, People say, hi, Joe, how are you doing? And you know, people will talk to you, which is good. You know, no good becoming aloof and sort of, no, you, you've made it. No, you know, Reebok made it. <laughs> I just <laughs> going along at the same time. Uh, but yeah, I, th I think success is really reaching some of your dreams. And, um, you know, we, we, we reached our dreams. We, we did indeed. And so that was success. I don't, I don't qualify it in, in money terms, just in... Uh, so much it's allowed me to write the book yeah is there is there anything looking back i mean like you said you've achieved the highest levels of success um looking back is or today i guess 
is there anything that you still want to accomplish that you you haven't accomplished yet? Well, of course, it's uh, the book. The book has to be okay. So the book is the biggest thing right now. That has to become a bestseller, and uh, and and I think Reebok again to get back to its glory times. I think you know we we're now anxious to to work with ABG and see what we can do to help. If they you know if they knock on the door, I'm here. <laughs> and I love so, it. There's still a lot of uh, a lot of things to see yet. Yeah, and hopefully, the the people listening at home right now are going to go pick up that that book. I'm going to leave uh, the links in the description. Uh, but yeah, my my sixth and final one is. What's your favorite Reebok shoe? Well, I know I mean, they're all your babies, but you know you gotta you gotta choose one. They're like, yes, <laughs> Aztec, but I think that um, that pump pump now has to be something which is like uh, it, it really creates an image, and the images you have now of pump and what they're doing, what they've done with it historically, and where the future is on that, it's, it's incredible. So I think the pump is, uh, I think everybody knows that as Reebok now. You know, it's, yeah, it's that was crazy. Of, Who? What was his name? The NBA player on the Celtics. It was D. D. Brown. Was it? D. Brown. Yeah, yeah. He won the the dunk contest in them, right? He was like a short guy that yeah. jumped out of the world. <laughs> cool. And every every time he uh, every time he threw the ball, he just pumped his shoes up. That's there. I it, love it. <laughs> yeah, this is and, awesome. Yeah, visible technology is what we call it. Viztech. It's something that you know you, that sort of just ties you to a product. And so many people that I talk to these days, um, your age, and just a little bit older, I say, God, you know, my first pair of shoes were pump. Incredible. Loved it. <laughs> the, the, I love that. So I, th- I think there's going to be a big re- revise, or renewal or whatever. It's probably with two E's that, yeah, the rebound and rebound. <laughs> Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or just give us a follow on Spotify. Also, be sure to pick up a copy of Joe's new book, Shoemaker, which I'll leave in the description below. And until the next time, dream big because you, my friend, are made for more.